In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Welcome to the show. I'm Jake Johnson, and this is Untethered Live on a Sunday night. Welcome. Come on in. Take your shoes off. Set a spell. We're going to get into some good stuff tonight. The Great Book of Numbers. How are you? How was your weekend? Are you recovering? Have you been bailed out? Are you sufficiently on the mend? Are you ready for work tomorrow? I know I am. But I'm here. What's up, Caucasian? Good to see you, buddy. I'm glad you're alive. I can feel it in my bones. It's going to be one of those nights. That's all right. Uh, we've had a lovely weekend up here, but it's going to rain like cats and dogs tomorrow. I imagine when I leave the house, I'll immediately step right into a poodle. Mm. Tonight's episode is brought to you by this hot cup of coffee and the letter Q. <clears throat> How about that? What do you got going on tonight? I have been running back and forth today. But it was a pretty day, so it wasn't too bad, and it wasn't too cold, so that's good. I shared, but it hasn't been working lately. Really? Well, that's terrible. YouTube. <clears throat> Go figure. had a fairly decent podcast Friday night and some pushback on some of my ideas and allowed me to elaborate. That's always a good thing, I think. <clears throat> I had a premiere in three minutes ago. Well, all right. That's, that's awesome, I think, right? Was that a good one? Did you have lots of people? I feel tonight's going to be a slow night for me. But that's all right. It's the perfect book to be slow in. Numbers. Lots of numbers. Missed most of it myself. Well, that's, you're supposed to be there. It's your premiere. <clears throat> I just uh, hadn't been long, got home. So I, I ate and I jumped on the computer to get ready for the podcast. So... I hadn't had a chance to watch it, but I'll check it out when I get done. <clears throat> had to take your daughter home. I hear you. How was she? How was your daughter? Grown like a ragweed, I would imagine. I hadn't seen my daughter in quite some time. I have no idea. But I see my son every week, so that's good. 
<clears throat> ready for a new week? I'm ready for a new week. Ready to get it going. Eighteen and free. Yep, mine too. I think our daughters are the same age. Must be because they're both eighteen. Weird how that works, isn't it? My niece is the same age also. And pregnant. Numbers. Yes, numbers. Yes, those numbers. Well, there's nobody here but you to talk to, so talk. <laughs> oh, there's American Justice. Hey, how are you? Welcome to the show. Glad you're here. That's fantastic. How was your day? Did you have a good weekend? Are you feeling frisky, perky, and all those other words that mean up? Thank you, Caucasian. Going to be a slow night, eh, Jot? That's all right. April will be here in a minute, I would imagine. She's probably in the uh, throes of getting dinner. There's the MBTV. Welcome to the show, my friend. Come on in. Take your shoes off. I keep saying that. I don't know why. Stuck in my brain. It's like uh I'm having like like uh like panic flashbacks from the seventies. Today was a good day. That's fantastic. I love to hear good news. I'm glad you had a good day. Today was good for me too. I had a pretty decent day. <clears throat> And a friend of mine gave me a box of these. I'll show you what they are. This is old people stuff, by the way. So if you're not old, you won't appreciate this. But if you are, you might. Are you ready? Now, I know at first you're saying it's a light bulb. What's the big deal? Take a closer look. Notice the line right here? All this is plastic, and all this up here, LED. This is the equivalent of a 100-watt light bulb. It has almost no power usage at all. And I'm replacing all the ones in my house with it. Because it's LED, it doesn't use a lot of power. For old people, that's exciting. Woof. Yeah. I'm dealing with 15 below flat tires and flat spares, but we'll work it out. That's terrible, MVTV. I'm sorry, buddy. I wish there was something I could do for you. I can pray. I'll give you that. Kind of hard to change a tire down here. Hmm. But I can sympathize with you. I've been there. I have nowhere to go, so it's all good. I hear you. 15 below. That's, or, that's rough. That's cold. 
it's been sticking at around um, 40 degrees during the day and down to 25 at night here. It's been doing that for about a week now. Except for the day it rained. For some reason, the next day it was warm, which was weird. Usually when it rains, it cools down. But nope. It rained and it got hot during the day. Well, it wasn't hot, but it was by by comparison to what it was. It was 25 degrees and then it jumped up to like 45 degrees, 50 degrees. You could feel the warmth in the air. Fab Daddy, what's up, buddy? Good to see you. Welcome to the show. So I'm guessing it the rain pushed a warm envelope of air down into the cold, which naturally caused it to storm afterwards, but warm weather and cold weather don't ever go well together. But I have an 800-mile trip to a must-have doctor's appointment in two weeks. If I can get it, if I can get to Helena, I can get some affordable replacements. I hear you. Well, maybe after after it warms up a little, your neighbor won't mind running you to town. That's always a hope. If you got a rapport with your neighbor. April, good to see you, sweetheart. Welcome to the show. There she is to save the day. All right, we got five people, so let's get going. <clears throat> let's go down, shall we? If you got your Bibles handy, break them open to that great book of Numbers, chapter 4, verse 15. <clears throat> and it reads... And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary as the camp is set forward, after that the sons of Koath shall come to bear it. Now remember the Koath, Koathites are the ones charged with moving everything. And they are conscripted into Aaron's family as Levites because if I'm not mistaken, and I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure one of these guys, I think it's this guy, Koath, uh, I think his father is Levi. One of them's father is Levi. But they're conscripted into Aaron's family, who is a, a tri from the tribe of Judah, like Moses. But he is the high priest because he's Moses' brother, right? Moses was chosen by God to lead, so by proxy, his brother was chosen to be high priest, but the Levites were charged with bearing everything. So they're the only ones that could pick up and touch the stuff and move it. And when it comes to the Ark of the Covenant, they're the only ones that can touch it, period, because anybody else touches it, they die. That's pretty interesting. But, the Bible says, they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. So I'm wrong about that. This, uh, I'm glad I, I should have read another line before I said that. So Kohath is not one of Levi's children because the Levites are the only ones that can touch the holy thing. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath. I need to read that again because this one just says it, it, that he is the guy. The burden of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation. Does that not say that Kohath is the guy that touches the holy things? Am I getting that wrong? So this they should be anyone else. Meaning they of the, the, the camp other than Koath. That, that's not very clear. I apologize for that. That even got me. 
and to the office of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest pertaineth to the, pertaineth the oil for the light and the sweet incense and the daily meat offering and the anointing oil and the overnight or the oversight of all the tabernacles. So there, uh, Aaron's son is in charge of making sure everything gets done. He's the boss man. He's the foreman of the job. And of all that therein is in the sanctuary and in the vessels thereof. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, Cut ye not off the tribe of the families of the Kohathites from among the Levites. This is where they're conscripted into Aaron's family. But thus do unto them that they might live and not die. When they approach unto the most holy things, Aaron and his sons shall go in and appoint them every one to his service and to his burden. But they shall not go in to see when the holy things are covered, lest they die. So they can move it, but they can't see it. Or see it be uncovered, or see it be covered. That's weird. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take also the sum of the sons of Gershon, throughout the houses of their fathers, by their families, from thirty years old and upwards, unto fifty years old, shalt thou number them. All that enter in to perform the service, to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. So these are the middle-aged men. They get to do all the stuff inside. Young men have to go to war. Old men have to sit, kick back and watch the young men work, and the middle-aged men get to do all the stuff. That's pretty common sense. This is the service of the families of the Gershonites to serve and for burdens. And they shall bear the curtains of the tabernacle and the tabernacle of the congregation, his coverings and the coverings of badger skin that is above upon it. And the hangings for the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the hangings of the court and the hangings for the door of the gate of the court, which is by the tabernacle, by the altar round about and their cords, and all the instruments of their service, and all that is made for them, so shall they serve. So the Gershonites get to handle all of that stuff. The Kohathites get to handle all the holy things, the Levites, and the Kohathites get to do the stuff around the Levites because they're all part of the same family, on and on and on. And the appointment of Aaron and his sons shall be all the service of the sons of the Gershonites and all their burdens and in all their service. And ye shall appoint unto them in charge all their burdens. So again, Aaron's sons are the uh, foremen of the job. They get to oversee everything and make sure it all gets done. This is the servants of the families of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of the congregation, and their charge shall be under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. So Ithamar handles those guys. And as for Merari, thou shalt number them after their families by the house of their fathers from thirty years old and upwards, even unto fifty years old shalt thou number them. Every one that entereth into the service to do the work of the tabernacle of the congregation. And this is the charge of their burden. The Marariites. Bagel. Does God like baked beans? Well, he made them, didn't he? 
I imagine he likes them a lot. I like them. What do you think? Pay attention. And this is for the charge of their burdens according to the service in the tabernacle of the congregation, the boards of the tabernacle and the bars thereof and the pillars thereof and the sockets thereof and the pillars of the court round about and their sockets and their pens and their cords and their, with all the instruments and with all their service. And by name ye shall reckon the instruments of the charge of their burdens. So not only are they in charge of all of the stuff that people walk on, and the, the poles that hold up the fences, but they have to know by name every instrument that is involved in putting them together. These are tools. That's another word. Not, not musical instruments, but like whatever, wrenches or tightening spanners or whatever it is they used. <clears throat> Hammers. This is the service of the families of the sons of Merari, according to all their service in the tabernacle of the congregation, under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. And Moses and Aaron and the chief of the congregation numbered the sons of the Kohathites after their families and after the house of their fathers, from thirty years old, even upwards unto fifty years old, every one that entereth into service. For the work in the tabernacle of the congregation... And those that were numbered of them by their families were 2,750. So if you can imagine a service like going to church, and there's 2,750 guys who are just putting stuff together. That's the road crew, and that's only from one family. So far, there's two families doing this. The Kohathites, these were they that were numbered of the families of the Kohathites, all that might do service in the tabernacle of the congregation, which Moses and Aaron did number according to the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And those that were numbered of the sons of Gershon throughout their families and the house of their fathers, from 30 years old even to 50 years old, everyone that entereth into service for the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, even those that were numbered of them throughout their families by the house of their fathers were 2,630. So that's 2,630, 2,750. That's a bunch of boys just putting stuff together. Can you imagine what the choir looked like? These are they that were numbered. I read that one. No, it didn't. These are the fam these are the they that were numbered of the families of the Gershon, of the sons of Gershon, of all that might do service in the tabernacle of the congregation, whom Moses and Aaron did number according to the commandment of the Lord, and those that were numbered of the families of the sons of Merari throughout their families by the house of their fathers, from thirty years old upwards even unto fifty years old, every one that entered into the service for the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, even those that were numbered of them after their families, were 3,200. That's another 3,200 people to the second two numbers. It's a lot of folks. They had jobs to do, every one. But I would imagine, and having worked on a crew that puts up stages, you know, for bands and stuff, I would imagine they could have that tabernacle put together and set up and ready to rock and roll in about an hour. Maybe two. That's pretty awesome. 
they could probably have it tore down and put away in an hour and 20 minutes. <clears throat> These be those that were numbered of the families of the sons of Merari, whom Moses and Aaron numbered according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And all those that were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron and the chief of Israel numbered after their families and after the house of their fathers from 30 years old and upwards, even to 50 years old, everyone that came in to do service of the ministry. Now, these are the ones like the, the, the uh, deacons and such, cardinals and whatever. And the service of the burden in the tabernacle of the congregation, even those that were numbered of them, were 8,504 score. That's 520, 40, 60, 80, 580, 8,580. That's the people that work inside of the tabernacle doing the ministry stuff. Everyone according to his service and according to his burden, thus were they numbered of him as the Lord commanded Moses. There's a reason I keep pointing this out, and I'll tell you in just a minute. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out the camp, put out of the camp every leper, and every one that hath an issue that's bleeding or pussing or oozing of some sort. And whosoever is defiled by the dead, that includes anybody that's touched any dead thing, both male and female, shall ye put out. Without the camp shall ye put them, that they defile not their camps in the midst whereof I dwell. So when God's there, he wants it clean. But the reason I keep pointing out the number of all these people, so it went through four separate numbers, each one bigger than the next, 2,000, 2,000, 3,000, 8,000. Those are just the people that work there, right? You have to kind of picture this. If you want to know what size of building this was and how big the camp is, these are just the people that work there. And so far, we're up to about 12,000 people, 13,000, somewhere in that area. So that's 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Oh, we're pretty close to 15,000 people that work there. You would imagine that would fill the tabernacle because they show up for service too. But no, those are just the people that work there. 15,000 people are working at the tabernacle. How many people come to visit the tabernacle that don't work there? Thousands and thousands. This is a big place. The reason I point this out is because there have been people that try to suggest that though the exodus is proven to have happened, they were just a small band of nomads wandering through the desert, small group. Moses was just a, a leader of a, a small band of nomads. If that's a small band, I don't think I could handle seeing them coming over the border. You know what I mean? That's not a small band. That's a country. That's a small country. So just try to picture that as you go along thinking about when they build this tent that they work in. This tent was a big setup. That's a lot of people at that time. Yes, sir, it was. That's a lot of people at this time. <clears throat> and 
And now God has told them, take everything that's not clean of the people, no matter what's wrong with them. If there's something wrong with them, get them out of the camp because I'm coming in and I want the place to be spotless and not have any issues. And the children of Israel did so and put them out of the camp. As the Lord spake unto Moses, so did the children of Israel. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, when a man or a woman shall commit any sin that men commit, that's any of them, that's of the Ten Commandments, to do a trespass against the Lord, that that person be guilty, then they shall confess their sins with their mouths, which they have done. And he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof. That means the sacrifice that is according to that sin. And add unto it a fifth part thereof. That's a little bit more. That's uh, uh, your sacrifice with interest. And give unto them, give it unto them against whom he hath trespassed. See, God has it set up to where if you screw up, you can fix it. If you do something wrong, you can be forgiven for it. Yes, sin is a bad thing. You shouldn't do it. You shouldn't start your day tempting the Lord by saying, I'll just sin. All I got to do is ask for forgiveness. It doesn't work that way. You can't con God. He's there. He understands what's in your heart. But if you screw up, if you do something you shouldn't do, then you handle it by asking for forgiveness. Or in this time, for these people, it involved a sacrifice because that's the way to atone for a sin, to cover with blood the sins. The blood is the only thing that can cover sin in these days for these people. But, he refrains, if the man have no kinsman to recompense or to trespass, uh, to recompense the trespass unto, let the trespass be recompensed unto the Lord. So even if you don't have a family member to pay back, so you made guilt to somebody, you did something wrong to somebody, and then you're trying to pay back what you've done to them and there's nobody to pay it back to, then just take it to the Lord. Because the main thing is, is that you're atoning for your sin, not that the other person gets something out of it. Even to the priest, besides the ram of the atonement, whereby an atonement shall be made for him. See, that is a loophole in case you haven't figured that out. God does not want you to be in sin or to be guilty. He is trying with everything he knows how to do to provide a way for you to solve that problem. This is not the work of a tyrant. This is not the work of a vengeful, hateful God that doesn't love you. This is the work of a parent who knows you're going to screw up before you ever do and is trying to figure out a way to make it possible for you to live a life without sin invading it. That's love. That's patience. That's understanding from your father. I might add it's a beautiful thing. And every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring unto the priest, shall be his, the priest's. That's interesting. I went back to apologize for some minor transgressions of youth. No big deal, but it bothered me. That's beautiful. And then found the person of the net, then found the person on the net 
but he had died two years before. That's okay, MVTV. What matters is that you see the error of your way and that you are bothered by it because that in itself is an atonement for the sin. Ask for forgiveness and move forward. God will not think of it again. It will be blotted out of the book of life and it will not be held against you. I promise you that. But you have to talk to God. You have to tell him why it bothers you. You have to tell him that you understand what you did wrong, and then it's over. That's it. That's all there is to it. It's that simple. You don't need a man with a funny hat and a little closet to tell you you've been forgiven, or you don't need to do any Hail Marys or anything like that. Just say, God, I know I did something wrong. Will you please forgive me and then move forward and know that he has. That still bothers me. Okay, will do. Again, no big deal, but enough to me. Good. Yes. Listen, I promise you, God doesn't want to hear about it again after you ask for forgiveness. So don't let it keep bothering you. Once you feel like God has forgiven you, put it down. Put it away. It is no longer held against you. Your conscience has no more work to do on the subject. It's over. If you feel like his forgiveness hasn't done enough, then pay forward. Like, I, like we discussed before, do something good in the universe. And this is just me talking to you as a man. This has nothing to do with your forgiveness because the minute you ask God to forgive you, he did. That's it. It's over. He don't want to hear about it. He'll never bring it up, and he don't want you to bring it up. But if it still bothers you, do something good into the universe on behalf of the sin you committed, and then it will be paid for. A force for good regardless. You're absolutely right. That's what I'm saying. Every offering of all the holy things of the children of Israel, which they bring unto the priest, shall be his. It's the priest's. Does God need your money? No. The priest needs your money. That's how he runs the church. You see what I'm saying? It's not about God. It's about obedience. Every man's hallowed things shall be his. Whatsoever any man giveth the priest, it shall be his. Not God's. His. Why? Simple. The priest is spending his entire life learning a subject to teach you about that you don't have to spend your life learning. You can just get the answers. When you have a problem, you can come to him and he'll be available. Day or night, that's his job. He doesn't get to have a life like you have because his job is keeping his nose in a book, keeping his soul relatively clean and his understanding relatively high so that he can answer your questions when you come to him to answer questions. That's why when you give money to the church, it goes to the priest. It's supposed to. It's not supposed to be for God. God doesn't need money. He created the world, including the money. And every man's hallowed. I read that one. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man's wife go aside and commit a trespass against him, and a man lie with her carnally, means if she has sex with somebody else, and it be hid from the eyes of her husband, and be kept close, and she is, and she be defiled. These are ands, so these are continual. 
and there is no witness against her, neither she be taken with the manner. Think about this. And the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be defiled. Or if the spirit of jealousy come upon him, and he be jealous of his wife, and she be not defiled, then shall the man bring his wife to the priest, and he shall bring her offering for her, the tenth part of an ephah of barley of meal. An ephah is a container or a measurement. He shall pour no oil upon it, nor put frankincense thereon, for it is an offering of jealousy, an offering of memorial, bringing iniquity to remembrance. Why? Well, you could beat the hell out of her. That's not going to solve the problem, though. What you can do is pray about it, and you can offer an offering of jealousy memorial to the, to the tabernacle, which will cover you from the guilt of being jealous because jealousy is not good for you. Is it a sin? Well, you could put it under the category of covetousness because that's in a way jealousy but it's more envy than jealousy. So I'm not exactly sure how you would categorize that, but it's not good for your soul to be jealous. It's a, a sickness in your mind. It will, it will degrade your clarity of thought. <coughs> that being said, the act of uh, abortion, I'm sorry, not abortion, the other word, that was a Freudian slip. The act of uh, adultery is covered in the Ten Commandments, that is a sin on whoever's part is guilty, in this case, the wife. The, the husband has every right to be jealous and angry. This is telling you how to handle that. Does it say to beat your wife or to stone her to death? No. It tells you to take her to the church, take her to the uh, elder of the church, the priest, somebody that knows better somebody that can instruct you in how to handle it, how to get through it, because you have broken trust here. And trust broken cannot be mended. It can only go through time and patience and understanding and hoping that you can get to a place where trust can be regained. But you can't fix trust when it's broken. Likewise, you can't remove jealousy once it takes hold. The best thing to do is to turn it over to God and hope that he can solve this problem for you. Nonetheless, there is an issue you can't reconcile at this point. What does the priest do? He shall bring her near and set her before the Lord. This is a little bit of a guilt trip, but it works, believe me. And the priest shall take holy water in an earthen vessel, and of the dust that is in the floor of the tabernacle of the and the priest shall take it and put it into the water, and the priest shall set the woman before the Lord and uncover the woman's head and put the offering of memorial in her hands, which is the jealousy offering from the husband. He's going to make her give the offering. Why? Because she's in the wrong, not him. And the priest shall have his hand, the bitter water that causeth the curse, so he's got the holy water. She's got the offering. 
And the priest shall charge her by an oath, and say unto the woman, If no man have lain with thee, and if thou hast gone aside to uncleanness with another instead of thy husband, be thou free from this bitter water that causeth the curse. But if thou hast gone aside to another instead of thy husband, and if thou be defiled, and some man have lain with thee besides thine husband, then the priest shall charge the woman with an oath of cursing. And the priest shall say unto the woman, The Lord, that's all capital letters, that's God himself, make thee a curse and an oath among thy people. When the Lord doth take, sorry, when the Lord doth make thy to rot. Fie like inside, not thy as in T-H-Y, like the inner side of your leg, and thy belly to swell. And this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say, Amen, Amen. Now, is this true? Well, the Bible says it's true. But I would imagine this is a way to make her feel really bad about what she did because she not only has to offer the sacrifice, but she has to ask the Lord to let it be so twice. It's a painful thing for a woman to uh, be put in that position, I would imagine. I've never done it, so I wouldn't know. But I would imagine that if I felt that bad about doing something that wrong, it would be hard for me to stand before the Lord and admit my wrongdoing. And that's what this is truly about. Now, will her thighs rot and her belly swell? I don't know. The Bible says it will, but basically it's just saying that the priest will tell her that. Now, will God honor it? Maybe. Maybe he would then. Maybe it's just for these people. Don't know. But I do know that standing before the Lord and offering a sacrifice because you committed adultery and then having to admit to it and ask for it to be so, this curse, twice, I'd say that'd probably make you not be able to sleep very well at night, at, at the very least. It kills me when people suspect their partners follow them or hire PIs. Once it gets to that point, trust is broken. It's over. You're absolutely right. There is a way through it, though, especially if you're married and you believe that marriage is holy and that you're not supposed to take a divorce unless there's absolutely no other way. There is a way through it, and this is the way. April says, very true, absolutely, MVTV. ATL, what's happening, brother? Welcome to the show. No matter what God's promise always stays in place, even when his people stray. That's correct. And the priest shall write these curses in a book. We're not done yet. He's going to give her a memorial so she can remember what she did. And the priest shall write these curses in a book. And he shall blot them out with a bitter water. And he shall cause the woman to drink the bitter water that causeth the curse. And the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter. So there's the answer to the other question. Will it happen? I would imagine that the dirt from the floor would make you pretty sick anyway because everybody's been trampling and spitting and walking all over it, sweating and all that. I imagine you get some COVID from that for sure. The holy water, that's God's water. I imagine he can make that do whatever he wants it to do. Then the priest shall take the jealousy offering out of the woman's hand 
and shall wave the offering before the Lord and offer it upon the altar. And the priest shall take a handful of the offering, even the memorial thereof, and burn it upon the altar, and afterwards shall cause the woman to drink the water. Notice what he does not do with this particular offering. He does not eat it. And when he hath made her drink the water, then it shall come to pass that if she be defiled and have done trespass against her husband, that the water that causeth the curse shall enter into her and become bitter, and her belly shall swell and her thigh shall rot, and the woman shall be a curse among her people. And if the woman be not defiled, but be clean, which means that though she took up time with another man, she did not actually sleep with him. She was just caught being with someone other than her husband. This is not uh, adultery in that sense. It is cheating because she's spending her free time with another man, clearly with the intent of cheating. She just hasn't done it yet. Julie, welcome to the show. Then she shall be free and shall conceive seed. So what this is saying is, as if for these people, these are just the Israelites talking here. It's not for everybody. This ritual will cause her to be barren. That's what it means by uh, be a curse among her people. She can't have children because she committed adultery. This is the law of jealousy, jealousness. When a wife goeth aside to another instead of her husband and is defiled, or when the spirit of jealousy cometh upon him and he be jealous over his wife, and shall set the woman before the Lord and the priest shall execute upon her this law. I would imagine this goes the same way for the man, though it does not say that. But some things you must infer. Remember the time this was written. Kind of like the metric system. Hey. Oh. Ten parish. What is that? Parish sections? I don't know what that is. You had to be more specific, ATL. Then shall the man be guiltless from iniquity, and the woman shall bear her iniquity. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either man or woman shall be separate, shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite. Now, this is important. What is the vow of a Nazarite? Well, the Bible never actually tells you what the vow of a Nazarite is. It's a thing that's lost to time. But Jesus was a Nazarite. Not a Nazarene. He was that too, but he was a Nazarite meaning he took the vow of a Nazarite. And this involves not drinking and never cutting your hair. Samson was a Nazarite. Uh, there's some, some kind of club you can get into by making a vow, and it's called the vow of the Nazarite, but it never goes into any detail in the Bible. I would have to consult Jewish texts to find out exactly what this is, but I'm aware of it because I've read about it before. Um, but it's a special group of people Kind of like, uh, I don't know, they're on a mission from God, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, maybe ATL knows what it is, do you? In the Torah, Numbers is broken up into parishes. There are ten of them in Numbers. Okay, well, I haven't read the Torah in that sense. I've read it in English, so I don't really, I guess it's the same thing, right? Same book. 
to separate themselves unto the Lord. So I guess in 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 a roundabout way, that's what a Nazarite is. Separated from, from mankind, they work for God. See what I'm saying? They are special people separated unto, to, unto the Lord. That's what the, the roundabout way of saying what the vow of a Nazarite is. However, it does not go into detail other than what's about to be said. This is all that is given. So it's mysterious, I guess. He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar or wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried grapes. No raisins, buddy. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled. So apparently there's a time limit to being a Nazarite. In the which he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separateth himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother or for his brother or for his sister when they die because the consecration of his God is upon his head. So even if your mama dies, you don't get to bury her. You don't get to touch her. You touch nothing dead. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. If any man die very suddenly by him, and he hath defiled the head of his consecration, then he shall shave his head in that day, of, in the day of his cleansing, on the seventh day shall he shave. So, apparently, that's the end of that right there. If, you, if somebody dies and falls on you, or, or somehow corrupts you, or touches you in a way that makes you unclean, that's the end of the Nazarite vow. You have to wait to the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, and then shave your head, and then that's over. And on the eighth day shall he bring two turtles or two young pigeons to the priest of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering and make an atonement for him, for that he sinned by the dead and shall hallow his head the same day. That means shave it. I mean, cover it. Sorry. It means cover his head. And he shall consecrate unto the Lord the days of his separation and shall bring a lamb of the first year for a trespass offering. But the days that were before shall be lost because his separation was defiled. So this is what I gather the vow of a Nazarite is. Say you wanted to achieve something and you said, God, please let me do this thing. If you do this thing, I will vow myself to you for X amount of days. I'm just making up something here, but it's really not good to tempt the Lord, but just understand what I'm going here. So you make this vow to God, and it's a time limit thing. So say, for 14 days, I will be holy, Father. I will do whatever you want me to do. I'm yours for 14 days if you'll just allow this thing to happen. So I've made a vow to God, right? For for that long, I can't drink anything vinegar. I can't drink anything 
wine or strong of any kind. I cannot eat anything from the vine. Why? Because the vine is symbolic of the bloodline of God. It is the Yahweh, the first fruit. It is the most pure thing on this earth. God uses, Jesus uses the vine all the time to illustrate points and to make ideas understandable. And there's a lot to be said. Jesus is referred to as the first fruit. He's referred to as the strength of the vine. Uh, the bloodlines are referred to as a, a vineyard. So something about this vow, you can't have anything involving God's wine. Now, if anything happens to cause you to be defiled, however many days you've been doing this is lost. You can't do that. You got to start over. You still got to fulfill the vow because you made a promise. But what you've done thus far is gone. That's what this is saying. So basically, if you become dirty during the time of being a Nazarite, you have to start over until you fulfill your promise. And this is the law of the Nazarite. When the days of his separation are fulfilled, he shall be brought into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and he shall offer his offering unto the Lord, one he lamb of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering, one ewe lamb, that's a baby lamb, of the first year without blemish for a sin offering, one ram without blemish for a peace offering, and a basket of unleavened bread, cakes of fine flour mingled with oil, and wafers of unleavened bread anointed with oil, and their meat offerings, and their drink offerings, and the priest shall bring them before the Lord and shall offer his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord. And the basket of unleavened bread, the priest shall offer also his meat offering and his drink offering. And the Nazarite shall shave his head, shave the head of his separation at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Why? Because you get hair all over the place if you don't. And shall take the hair of the head of his separation and put it in the fire, which is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. So there's something about the hair that makes the promise work. Remember Samson, as long as his hair was long, he had all that strength because he was separated to God. He was a Nazarite. And when he shaved his head, he lost his strength because that's the end of the sac that's the end of that, the, that promise. And the priest shall take the sodden shoulder of the ram and one unleavened cake out of the basket and one unleavened wafer and shall put them upon the hand of the Nazarite after the hair of his separation is shaven. And the priest shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. This is holy for the priest. Let the wave breast and heave shoulder. And after that, the Nazarite may drink wine because it's over. Now, the Nazarite has to present the wave offering, but the priest gets to eat it. That's what this says. That's his portion of that sacrifice. Remember, the priest always gets the good meat because he's the priest. And this is the law of the Nazarite who hath vowed and of his offering unto the Lord for his separation. Beside that, that his hand shall get 
according to the vow which he vowed, so he must do after the law of his separation. So whatever promise you made, you kept your end of the bargain, but you must fulfill it. Whatever promise you made to God, you must do it if you want to get the thing you ask for. That's all I know about the, the, the vow of the Nazarite. That's all that is written about it. It's a thing lost to time. But I would imagine it still works. <clears throat> I caution you, though, to tread very lightly if you decide you want to play with this because anything involving God is super, super serious and you should not play with it. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, saying, On this wise shall ye bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Now that, my friends, is a blessing. And they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I will bless them. And it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up the tabernacle and had anointed it and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, the children, heads of the houses of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes and were over them that were numbered, offered. They made their sacrifices. And they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon for two of the princes. So each prince had two wagons. And for each one, an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. So the tabernacle is fully set up. It's been handled Everything has been blessed, and it's in business. So they commenced to getting it done. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take it from them, that they may be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt give them unto the Levites, to every man according to his service. So Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. The, the Levites went about doing the sacrifices while everybody else could go in and be part of the service. Two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon according to their service. Four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari according to their service. Under the hand of Ithamar, that's Aaron's son, the son of Aaron the priest. But under the sons of Kohath he gave none because the service of the sanctuary belonged unto them, was that they should bear upon their shoulders. So they already have a job to do. That's why the other two got to do the sacrifices, because they have got to do all the other stuff. And the princes offered for dedicating... Sorry. And the princes offered for dedicating of the altar in the day that it would, was anointed, even the princes offered their offering before the altar. That's a strange sentence. We could have just said, so the princes gave their sacrifices. And the Lord said unto Moses, they shall offer their offerings each prince on his day for the dedicating of the altar. 
So now they've dedicated the altar. And he that hath offered his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Amenadab, the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver charger. A charger is a container or a measurement. The weight thereof was an hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them were full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one spoon of ten shekels of gold full of incense. The spoon was ten shekels of gold. The spoon was full of incense. Make sense? One young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Amenadab. On the second day, Nathaniel, the son of Zur, prince of Issachar, did offer. He offered for his offering one silver charger, the weight whereof was an hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one spoon of gold of ten shekels, full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year, for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats, for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Nathaniel, the son of Zur. And on the third day, Eliab, the son of Helen, prince of the children of Zebulun, did offer. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was an hundred and thirty shekels, one bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the he-goats for a sin offering and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Eliab, the son of Helen. And on the fourth day, Eliezer, the son of Shadur, prince of the children of Reuben, did offer. His offering was one silver charger of the weight of an hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, of course, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels, full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and for a sacrifice of the peace offering, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Eliezer, the son of Shadur. And on the fifth day, Shemuel, sorry, Shelemuel, the son of Jerashaddai, prince of the children of Simeon, did offer. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was an hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of flour, fine, mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, 
One young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for a sin offering. And for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Shelemuel, the son of Shirishadai. Zerishadai. <laughs> and on the sixth day, Eliasaph, the son of Duel, prince of Gad, children of Gad, offered his offering. His offering was one silver charger of the weight of an hundred and thirty shekels, a silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, of course, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five goats, five lambs of the first year, this was the offering of Eliasaph, the son of Duel. On the seventh day, Elishima, the son of Amenehud, sorry, the son of Amihud, prince of the children of Ephraim, did offer. His offering was, you guessed it, one silver charger, the weight whereof was an hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Elishima, the son of Amihud. And on the eighth day, wait a minute, that was the eighth day. So there was two sacrifices on the eighth day? Well, there's 12 sons, so you do the math. That didn't make any sense. Go ahead. On the eighth day offered Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur, prince of the children of Manasseh. His offering was one silver charger of the weight of an hundred and thirty shekels, one silver bowl of seventy shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of goats for the sin offering, and for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five goats, Five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. And on the ninth day, Abidon, the son of Gideonai, prince of the children of Benjamin, offered. Wonder what he's going to offer. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was an hundred and thirty shekels. One silver bowl of seventy shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense, one young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering, one kid of the goats for a sin offering and for a sacrifice of peace offering, two oxen, five ram, five goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Abidan, the son of Gideonai. And on the tenth day, Ahazer, the son of Amishadadi. Amishadadi? Well, I miss you too. Prince of the children of Dan 
offered his offering. What was that? And a partridge in a pear tree. All right. That, hey, that, that. His offering was one silver charger. The weight whereof was an 130 shekels of silver. One silver bowl of 70 shekels. After the shekel of the sanctuary, of course. Both of them full of flying Fine, fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense. One young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of goats for a sin offering and for a sacrifice of peace offerings. Two oxen, five rams, five goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of a heiser, the son of a mishadaddy. Well, I miss you too, son. On the eleventh day, we're almost there, folks. Hang in there. Pagiel, the son of Ochran, prince of the children of Asher, offered. His offering was one silver charger, the weight whereof was an hundred and thirty shekels of silver, one silver bowl of thirty shekel, uh, of seventy shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering, one golden spoon of ten shekels, full... I lost myself. One golden spoon of ten shekels full of incense. One young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of goats for a sin offering and a sacrifice of peace offerings was two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Ochran. And the last one, on the twelfth day. Twelfth? There's an F in twelfth? Thought it was twelve. I'll be darned. I learn something new every day. On the twelfth day, twelfth day. I'm calling an audible here. I'm sure that's not spelled correctly. Anybody got me back on that one? A hero, the son of Enon. Enon, master of the universe. Nope, not that guy. Prince of the children of Naphtali offered. His offering was. One silver charger, the weight whereof was 130 shekels. One silver bowl of 70 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mingled with oil for a meat offering. One golden spoon of 10 shekels full of incense. One young bullock, one ram, one lamb of the first year for a burnt offering. One kid of the goats for a sin offering and for a sacrifice of peace offerings. Two oxen, five rams, five he goats, five lambs of the first year. This was the offering of Ahira, son of Enan, master of the universe. Had to be said. Ha ha. I'm with you. This was the dedication of the altar. Why was it so specific? Because this is the first time the altar has ever been used for this. It was necessary. In the day when it was anointed by the princes of Israel, 12 chargers of silver, 12 silver bowls, 12 spoons of gold, each charger of silver weighing 130 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary, each bowl, 70. All the silver vessels weighed 2,400 shekels after the shekel of the sanctuary. The golden spoons were 12, full of incense, weighing 10 shekels apiece after the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold spoons were 120 shekels. All the oxen for burnt offerings were 12 bullocks. The rams, 12. The lambs of the first year, 12 with their meat offerings, and the kids of the goats for sin offerings, twelve. All the oxen for the sacrifice of the peace offerings were twenty and four bullocks, the rams sixty, and the he goats sixty. 
and the lambs of the first year, 60, that's 60, 60, 60. That's triple the son of man in numerology. This was the dedication of the altar. After that, it was anointed. Man, I'm tired. And when Moses was gone into the tabernacle of the congregation to speak with him, then he heard the voice of one speaking unto him from off the mercy seat that was upon the ark of the testimony from between the two cherub, and he spake unto him. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron, and say unto him, When thou lightest the lamps, the seven lamps shall give light over against the candlestick. And Aaron did so, and he lighted the lamps thereof over against the candlestick, as the Lord commanded Moses. And this work of the candlestick was of beaten gold unto the shaft thereof, unto the flowers thereof were beaten works, according unto the pattern which God, the Lord God, had showed Moses. So made he the candlestick. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them. Why? Because they got an important job to do. Shekel, smekel, shekel. Oi. Yeriah. Meshugana. You should live so long. And thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purifying upon them, and let them shave all their flesh, and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bullock with his meat offering, even fine flour mingled with oil, and another young bullock shalt thou take for a sin offering, and thou shalt bring the Levites before the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt gather the whole assembly of the children of Israel together. And thou shalt bring the Levites before the Lord, and the children of Israel shall put their hands upon the children, upon the Levites, sorry, and Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord for an offering of the children of Israel that they may execute the service of the Lord. So this group, the Levites, conscripted into the family of Aaron, the high priest, are given to the Lord. They're dedicated to him. They are his to do with one thing, carry the burden of the holy thing. That is the Ark of the Covenant. That's their job. They must be clean. They must be purified and sanctified. They must be holy themselves to do this job, which is why only they could do it. I had to do my old Jewish guy accent and chat and text. Yeah, I was trying to mirror that for you. So, And thou shalt, did I read that already? Yes. And the Levites shall lay their hands upon the heads of the bullocks. And thou shalt offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for the Levites. And thou shalt set the Levites before Aaron and before his sons and offer them for an offering unto the Lord. Thus shalt thou separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine, says God. So they are separated from the rest of the children. The Levites also do not, uh, 
get a portion of the uh, inheritance. When all the land is divvied up, the Levites don't get any. Why? Because their job is a humble job, and, they, and they're supposed to be taken care of. So not, not only did they not get a piece of the action, they didn't get any land, but they did get sanctuaries in every city that the other children put up in their land so they could go anywhere and stay for free. So basically all of it was theirs because they had the special job. That makes any sense. Not only could they stay for free, but there was a place set aside for them to stay for free in every city. And after and after that shall the Levites go in and do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt cleanse them and offer them for an offering. For they are wholly given, that's holy with a W, wholly given to me, says God, from among the children of Israel, instead of such as an open every womb, even instead of the firstborn of all the children of Israel, I have taken them unto me. It could be that God said, well, the first child you have, every every family, the first child comes to me. But he didn't. He took the Levites, one of the 12 tribes, for him. For all the firstborn children of Israel are mine, both male and beast. On the day that I smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. And I have taken the Levites for all the firstborn of the children of Israel. And I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron. This is the conscription into Aaron's family right here. And to his sons from among the children of Israel to do the service of the children of Israel in the tabernacle of the congregation, to make an atonement for the children of Israel, that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come near unto the sanctuary. And Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel did to the Levites according unto all the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So did the children of Israel unto them. And the Levites were purified, and they washed their clothes. And Aaron offered them as an offering before the Lord. And Aaron made an atonement for them to cleanse them. And after that went the Levites in to do their service in the tabernacle of the congregation before Aaron and before his sons, as the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so did they unto them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I know it's been a busy day, but I got more stuff for you to do. He didn't say that. <clears throat> this is it that belongeth unto the Levites. From twenty and five years old and upwards, they shall go in to wait upon the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And from the age of fifty years, they shall cease waiting upon the service of the tabernacle and shall serve no more. So when they reach the age of fifty, they're done but shall minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of the congregation to keep the charge and shall do no service. Thus shalt thou do unto the Levites touching their charge. So they have to work in the tabernacle from 20 to 50. That's uh, what? That's four decades. That's 20 to 50 is 40 years. 
So they have to put in their time, just like at a factory, and they get to retire at age 50. That's three decades. Whatever. You get my point. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they were come up out of the land of Egypt. So see, we're still one month away from leaving Egypt. So all this is brand new to everybody. That's why it's so specific. We just got the tabernacle built. We just got it consecrated and ready for action. It's just started functioning, and everybody got their jobs handed out to them. Everybody knows who everybody is and who's in charge and who's the followers, and everybody begins to do the service in the tabernacle as they're uh, supposed to do. But they're just one month away from leaving. They were slaves a month ago saying, let the children of Israel also keep the Passover at his appointed season. When's that? Remember that I told you when, we, when the subject came up that the seven-day week has always been and always has been kept from the beginning, from creation until now. There has always been a seven-day cycle every week, right? So that way we know where the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is a Saturday. It always has been and always will be. And even though the calendar has changed at least three times, they always made concessions when they did that to keep the seven-day cycle. They moved dates. They changed dates. They jumped dates. But they kept that seven-day, seven-day, seven-day thing. Always. That's why there's seven days in a week. That's how we know it to be true, and that's how it works out at the end of the year to be exactly 52 weeks. Whatever. No, you know what I'm saying. In the 14th day of this month, at evening, what month is it? April. How do I know that? Because 14 days after the spring equinox is when... Passover occurs. So that's where they're at. They left in March. They left Egypt. Now they're in April. Seven? Why seven, I wonder, numerically speaking? That is because it took six days for God to create all of this, and then on the seventh day he rested. And from that moment, that's the first week given. From that moment forward, every week has been a seven-day week, six days with a day of rest, six days with a day of rest, on and on and on throughout time. That's why it's seven days, because it took seven days to create it. I hope that answers the question. But this says that we're one month away from leaving the tabernacle, the first month of the second year. Sorry. We're two years from leaving the tabernacle. I read that wrong. It's the first month of the second year. So they're two years. They're still brand new. That, that, everything I said still applies. It's just a little bit further. So what month are they in? How do we know? This is a date in the 14th day of this month. That's this month. That's April. How do I know? Because we're talking about Passover. Passover occurs 14 days past the spring equinox. At evening. You shall keep it in his appointed season according to all the rites of it, and according to all the ceremonies thereof shall ye keep it. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel, saying, 
you need to keep the Passover. So, remember that I said that for 450 years they were held captive in Egypt. They had all but forgotten who God was and the rituals and the religion. They were now conscripted into the Egyptian way of doing things. That's all they knew. But they did remember God. They just forgot all the stuff because these are children of children of children of children for 450 years. So when God brings them out, brings Moses to get them and brings them out, he has to re-educate them. Again, teach them all these rules, which is why these books are here, to teach them the new way of doing things. Because it's the old way of doing things they just forgot. That's why it's so specific. That's why we've had to go through everything. They are getting an education in the wilderness. It takes them 40 years to learn all of this stuff and to stop screwing up. Not one person in this group other than Moses makes it to the intended destination, which is Canaan, which ain't that far away. I don't know the exact number, but let's say it's 20 miles away from where they left, from Mount Sinai. Say it's 20 miles from Mount Sinai. They walk around in circles in that desert for 40 years before they get there. Why? Because God didn't want them to go in under the conditions they were in. They were uneducated, stiff-necked, and stubborn. And they had too many old habits that just would not work in the new land. So he had to get, get it out of them. So he waited till all the old people died and all the young people that were new got to go into the promised land. So Moses got to see it but he didn't get to go to it. He saw it across the valley, and then he died. But they made it. Took them 40 years, but they made it. MVTV says, makes sense. Nothing about the number itself, but the duration of the first creation. Correct. Got it. Only then did it become a number with something meaning, some meaning behind it. Correct. Just like Mother Nature's is April which conflicts with the argument, well, maybe days were millions of years in length and we just didn't understand it. Re-explanation, long-term geology. Okay, here's how you know that that's not correct. That's called the, uh, the uh, doctrine of the gaps, right? That's where people say, well, there could have been a million years between each day because a day, or a thousand years, rather, because a day to God is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. It says it later in the Bible, so why couldn't it apply here? Because it's very, very specific. Notice all the detail we've gone through. Well, in Genesis, in the beginning, it says the first day, the second day. This is an article followed by a noun. That always means a 24-hour period every time it's mentioned throughout the Bible. The day is 24 hours. A day could be a 1,000 years, but it's very specific. In Genesis, it took him seven 24-hour periods to create this world and everything that is in it. That's how we know it wasn't the God of the gaps, so to speak. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month at evening in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did the children of Israel. Now, another thing is, April is the first month, not January. That's a thing we changed, but it's still 12 months a year. It just starts in April, not January. 
Yes, this was acknowledging some kind of long-term thing while trying to match it up with biblical doctrine. Cake and eat it too situation. I got you. Yeah. Well, it does line up. You have to, the, the math is there. There's enough detail in the Bible that you can put it together and write it out and, and do the math and it will add up. I've, I've never done it, but I've seen it done enough that it satisfied me to know that it was correct, right? I've seen somebody go through and add up all the dates, all the ages, all the n- n- little signposts like that one mentioned where it talks about this is April, where you can do the math and find out which April, and then keep adding and adding and adding. And from creation to the flood is about 2,000 years. From the flood to Jesus is about 2,000 years. And from Jesus to right now is about 2,000 years. That's what the Bible says. Was there any period of time unaccounted for? Don't know. I can't answer that. But I can tell you that from creation to now, according to this book, was about six or 7,000 years ago. And there were certain men who were defiled by the dead body of a man that they cannot keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and before Aaron on that day. They didn't wait till before. They came on the day. And those men said unto him, We are defiled by the dead body of a man. Wherefore are we kept back? that we may not offer an offering unto the Lord in his appointed season among the children of Israel? Question mark. This sounds like an excuse to me. These boys did not want to participate. They're making an excuse. They're calling in sick. That's what's happening here. Calling in dead. They're calling in something. And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Meaning, yeah, you might think you're getting out of it, but you're not. We'll find, We'll find out a way to make it work. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, If any man of you or of your posterity shall be unclean by reason of a dead body or be in a journey afar off and can't make it, if you got the runs and just can't get to work, yet he shall keep the Passover unto the Lord. Don't matter, buddy. You're in for the long haul. You still got to keep the Passover. Wash your hands and get busy. The fourteenth day of the second month at evening, they shall keep it and eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So you got to keep it, but you don't get to enjoy it. And also, you got to do it a month after everybody else has already done it. So just because you can't make it today, you're still going to pull it off. The second month is May. They shall leave none of it unto the morning, nor break any bone of it. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. But the man that is clean and is not on a journey and forbeareth to keep the Passover, even the same soul shall be cut off from among his people because he brought not the offering of the Lord in his appointed season. That man shall bear his sin. So you don't get to get away with it. You must do it. 
If you're just making excuses and you ain't been touched by a dead body or on a journey afar off and you just don't want to do it, you, you're going to bear your sin. The Passover is to keep everybody clean. That's what it's for. It's a remembrance that the Lord didn't kill you when he killed everybody else. He saved you. He spared you. And now you're paying obeisance. You're being obedient because of that. And if a stranger shall so, so I'm not having a stroke, I can talk. And if a stranger shall sojourn among you, say that three times fast, and will keep the Passover unto the Lord according to the ordinances of the Passover and according to the manner thereof, so shall he do. Ye shall have one ordinance, both for the stranger and for him that was born in the land. If the guy lives with you, he's one of you. It's as simple as that. And on that day, sorry, and on the day that the tabernacle was reared up to the cloud covered, what? And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle. I got it. There should have been a comma there. Namely, the tent of the testimony. That's inside the tabernacle. That's the holiest of holies. And at evening, there was upon the tabernacle, comma, as it were, comma, the appearance of fire until the morning. Seemed like it was on fire in there. That's because God was in there on the mercy seat. So it was always. How long? Always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Just like they were led out of Egypt in the wilderness. Cloud by day, a pillar, and a pillar of fire by night. Now the tabernacle is built and God comes in and sits on the mercy seat during the Passover. Cloud by day, fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed. They picked up and left and went somewhere else. And in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. So God's leading them through the desert, see. And at the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed. And at the commandment of the Lord, they pitched. As long as the cloud abode in the tabernacle or upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. And when the cloud tarried long enough on the tabernacle, many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. That means they sat still. And so it was, when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents. And according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. It's pretty simple. And so it was, when the cloud abode from evening until morning, and that the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, that the cloud was taken up. They journeyed. Didn't matter. When God said go, they went. When God said stay, they stayed. Or whether it were two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle, remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not. But when it was taken up, they journeyed. At the commandment of the Lord, they rested in the tents. And at the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. Are you going to say that more? 
They kept the charge of the Lord at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. Moses did the talking. God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to them. It's pretty simple. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver. Of a whole piece shalt thou make them one piece, that thou mayest use them for the calling of the assembly. And that's where that tradition started. Come on, everybody. And for the journeying of the camps. So they didn't even have to look. They just listened for the horns. When the horns blew, they got up and left. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow but one trumpet, then the princes, which are the heads of the thousands of Israel, shall gather themselves unto thee. When ye blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east parts shall go forward. When ye blow an alarm a second time, then the camps that lie on the south side shall take the journey. There they shall blow an alarm for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, ye shall blow. It's one long blow. But ye shall not sound an alarm, because that will make people get up and leave. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets. And they shall be for they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. <laughs> and if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresseth you, then ye shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and ye shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and ye shall be saved from your enemies. And that's where we're gonna stop for today, but just think about that for a minute. This is God saying that if you have to go to war in the land that I send you, blow an alarm and I'll hear it because I'll be listening to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do. And I will save you from your enemies. That's pretty awesome. That God thinks enough of these people to save them. And they don't even have to fight. Pretty awesome. I hope you enjoyed that book. I hope it caused you to think a little bit. I hope it cleared some things up. I hope it made you consider just how awesome the Lord your God really is and what he has put into this as far as thinking it out and laying it out for all the people to be clear about what they need to do. That's why it's so specific, and it's a little hard to read through because it's a little boring, but I promise you you wouldn't want it the other way, vague and and hard to follow. This is proof positive that every word of the Bible is clearly laid out for you to follow. There is no mistaking the meanings of what he wants you to do. All you have to do is read this book, and it will answer your questions, and it will allow you to understand what God expects from you to do. It will make you see clearly the message sent to you. This is a love letter from God, this book. It was written to you from him. That's why it's still here. That's why it's very important that you read it. And I thank you all for being with me while we do it. Won't you please do me a favor and 
hit that subscribe button and press the bell icon so you get notifications of when I'm going to be online. Smash that like button. It's right in front of you. It takes no effort at all, and it really does help me with the algorithms and helps us get recommended to other people. So please do that, won't you? Share this video with people you love. Better yet, share it with people you don't love. Bring them into the family. Make them part of the fold. Be part of their solutions, not part of their problems. Leave comments down below. Let me know what you're thinking about. Question me, curse me, bless me, challenge me, confront me, conform with me, drink my Kool-Aid. Make your own Kool-Aid as long as you're thinking critical. That's what I want. Critical thought coming from that brain of yours. And hey, if you love the Word of God and you can see the value in what I'm trying to build here and you'd like to help me do it, you'd like to be part of something special, reach out and touch the world with the Word of God. You can help me. You can support my work by going to paypal.me slash Band. Or if you're a Cash App user, you can go to dollar sign Jake Johnson Band. Every little bit helps. It's a win-win. It's a battle in the right direction to solve this problem, which is the lack of the knowledge of the Word of God for the people of Earth. Help me do it, won't you? Every little bit helps. It's a blessing to me. It's a blessing to you, too, because God notices these things. We do live in a reciprocal universe. With that, I will do everything in my power to be worthy of your support. Thank you, and now I will take all of your questions and comments. Q&A. How about that? Questions, comments, criticisms, catharsis, contributions, contrarians, caterpillars. Anything else that starts with a C, I'll take it. Bring it on. Mm. Did you enjoy that? Are you still here? Fab Daddy says I need coffee. I don't blame you. Me too. Coffee and a good night's sleep. What did you think of this read, sir? Did you find it interesting? Did you hear anything you didn't already know? Will God help me with my flat tires? Question mark. Actually, just some backup needed. May solve it myself as it should be. Will God help you with your flat tires? Hmm. Hasn't he helped you before? In a way that you recognized, that you saw this has got to be God doing something? So the answer to your question is another question. Don't you know that God has your back when you ask did you ask God to help you with your tires? Were you specific? Are you just asking for a handout or do you truly need help? Is it something you can do yourself or do you think God needs to intervene with your tires? If that's the case, ask him earnestly and I promise you he will in one way or another. He's not going to do it for you though. You're going to have to do it, but he'll provide the way. All you have to do is look for it and it'll be there. I promise. I give you my word as a man on it. Amen, Jake. Very good read tonight, love. Thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate you. I was in and out. I had a few phone calls. Calls start with a C. That's correct. And you did what I asked you to do. Thank you very much. Thank you for being uh, literal. That's my thing. I'm into that. I don't believe in asking for help on everything, but may recognize some help already. Pulled an old spare inside, and it is holding air just fine now for some reason. 
Well, that may be the help you need. That may get you to where you need to be so that you can fix it yourself. I can't promise you that God will carry you through the situation, but I promise you he'll never put anything upon you you cannot handle. You just have to look for the way out. God always gives you a way out. He may put a lot on you, but he'll always give you an out. You just have to look for it. I promise that. I enjoyed it. You all, I'm finally eating dinner. Yay, much love, everybody. May God bless you all. See you tomorrow night. I love you too, sweetheart. Enjoy your dinner, and I'll see you tomorrow night. I can't explain it. Two months ago, it had an audible leak. Maybe a valve stem. Maybe reset itself. I don't care, but it may have it may have easy fix right behind me. I don't care, but may have may have easy. Are you talking about fix a flat? I think that's what you're talking about. We still love you, Fab Daddy. <laughs> Inside air is warmer. That's correct. Good night, April. Well, look. <laughs> Put a little of that fix a flat in it, which doesn't really help all that much. I've never had it work for me, but if it does, that may seal the little pin leak that it has. And if it'll get you to the store, then you can use it to go get your other tires. Hopefully, you've only got one bad tire. Hopefully, it's not all four of them flat. In that case, you're walking. <laughs> but God will give you a ride. I promise you that. Ask him while you're walking. Take the journey. Take the steps. Get out on the highway. Ask God to give you an angel. I did that one time, and I got a ride every time I needed one. But I walked a long way. But when my knees started to give out, when my feet got tired, when I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't take another step without fail. Somebody, I'd hear a car slowing down behind me, and it'd stop and ask me if I wanted a ride. And when I got in the car, they struck up a conversation with me about God every single time. And this was from Georgia to South Carolina and back as I walked. Soapy water, look for bubbles. Yep. You're welcome, says April. Absolutely, God will. Yes, he will. But you got to have faith in it, though. You got to know that's what's going to happen. So it expands more and should have even higher pressure. At least I'm getting out, doing something, and always sat satisfied, always satisfying when you deal with the problem yourself. That's correct. It is, it is good satisfaction in a job well done if you accomplish the job. That's always good for your soul to do that. It's not good when somebody else does it for you. It doesn't feel the same way. If you can handle the problem, then you've achieved something, and that's always good for your soul. That's not to say you don't need help every now and then, and that's not to say God won't help you because he will. He's not going to do it for you, though, but he will give you a way that you can get it done. You just have to be crafty and look for it. But I promise he will. Especially if you belong to this YouTube channel, because everybody here is blessed. How do I know that? Because I asked. That's one of the prerequisites of being a member of this channel. You're blessed. 
that means you'll always have a way. May always it may not always be easy, but it'll always be there. You will never be destitute, I promise you. You will never be completely without, I promise you. And if you are without, you're not very far from within. You just have to go get it. That's a perk. And how do I know that that'll happen? Because you're taking the time to follow God's words. And anytime you do that, God's paying attention. He wants you to do that. That's why I left this book here. So when you begin to do that, to be obedient, despite what you may believe or despite what this world has convinced us into thinking, when you do what God asks you to do, he pays attention to you. And if you happen to be in need while he's looking in your direction, to be sure he will solve the problem one way or another. 16 below now, but will be sunny tomorrow in the high 20s, then the 30s, which is almost shirt sleeve weather. No time crunch and not doing this at the roadside. I hear you. Well, you get out there and just get started, and I promise you that it'll come together and you'll figure out a way to get it done. And when you're sitting at the home with four, four good tires and it is solved and you have your shit together, thank God for it. Because without God, you can't even draw a breath without his permission, let alone fix a tire. I have no respect for crybabies instantly raising hands out for help. Having the problem is actually more interesting than nothing else. True. Nice, Jake. That's inspiring. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate you. Again, I'm only the messenger. Know that the words are coming from on high. That's where they come from. That's their origin. The fact that they're true is just awesome. Just a perk. But I'll, I'll, I'll share my testimony with you. And you can ask anybody that knows me. There have been people that witnessed this. Maybe even April has remembered something. I don't know. But I promise you it's true. I don't get stranded because it's a thing, you know, a bone of contention with me. I hate being stuck. And because of circumstances in my childhood and things that I've had to go through in my life, it's a thing that's a particular pet peeve for me being stranded. So I don't get stranded. What do I mean by that? I mean that if I'm stranded, God will send a ride for me every time. One time I was in the van going to a store, taking my cousin to a store, and we ran out of gas. And he started panicking because we was a long way from the house and in a van. Can't push a van. Not two guys anyway. So I told him, I said, just relax. Wait a minute. And I got out of the car and I walked to the front of the car and stood there. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm waiting. He said, what are you waiting for? I said, just give it a minute. Two minutes later, a cop pulls over and says, you guys all right? I said, yeah, we just ran out of gas. He says, well, I happen to have a gas can in the back. Let me get you some. And he went and poured the gas in my tank, and we cranked up and went and drove to the store where I could get gas. That happens every single time I'm stranded, one way or another. I don't get stranded. That I have faith in. I'm not bragging. I'm testifying. This is a fact. It happens every time I get stranded. 
So know that, yes, God will do that. Last time it happened, I was loaded with cargo. Was 103 and just happened to go flat in a lame deer. The only one of two places along 200 miles with any services. That timing is beyond Vegas. I hear you. Eagles are in the Super Bowl. Uh-oh. Oh, Kevin is watching, and he'll be in for a sports update soon. Sweet. But that's just one thing, but God does look out for me like that, and I promise he'll do it for you too if you ask him. There are certain things mentioned in the Bible, certain perks that if you're a believer you can achieve. You just have to know about them and then look for them when they happen. Good evening, Walter Davis. Welcome to the show. Thank you for dropping by. We've come to an end, but you're welcome to scroll back and listen to the read tonight if you wish. But welcome. And if you have any questions, I'd be glad to answer them for you. Uh-oh. Look out. We got ourselves a sports update from Kevin Cox. The Eagles beat the 69ers after a slap fight. The Kansas City Wampoons and the Cincinnati Pussycats are tied at 20. It is a great game and will keep you up to date. And I will keep you up to date. Go Pussycats. How about that? It's a good old sports update from the Cox man. Hello, Walter. Welcome, says April. Yo, Walter Davis, says MBTV. Hi, Fab Daddy, says Kevin. Back to you, Jake. Jake the Snake. Never heard that one before. Honest. Nor have I heard Jake from State Farm. Go figure. Walter, introduce yourself. Tell us who you are and what you got going on. Hi, Untethered, April, Montana, Stream, Kevin, Fan. Hey, Walter in Montana, TVT. TVT? I'll give you another one, uh, MBTV. I had to go over to a friend's house today, which is about 25 miles from here. And my bike's sitting on empty. But I had to go. So I went. Because I'm that kind of guy. Fly by the seat of the pants. Living on the razor's edge. So I got there. I'm out of gas completely. I made it there, though. Before I left, he handed me $20. I didn't ask. I didn't tell him I was out of gas. He just gave me $20. So I was able to get back to the store and put some gas in my car. That's called uh, luck. Luck of God. Once I was starving in East Glacier each day waiting for this money due that was really late by mail. I got to rock bottom. I prayed to anybody that would listen. And by God... Three $50 bills laying in the dirt. Yes, I've had that happen before, too. Julie says, hey, Walter. 
How are you tonight, Walter, says April. People are interested in who you are, Walt. Oh, yeah. Hey, Big Jake. What's up, Kev? Good to see you, my friend. Hey, Julie, I was just thinking about you, says April. Walter says, I don't remember where I found you untethered, but I was recent, but it was recently. But you sounded good and have been listening, and I have been listening. First time here, usually driving. Well, that's awesome, Walter. Are you a truck driver? And I thank you for the compliment, and I'm glad that you found me, regardless of where it came from. I'm glad you're here. If you believe, as I believe, that people are put in people's paths for a reason, then you're right where you belong. And I hope you enjoy the show. Like I said, feel free to scroll back and listen, and I've got a whole library of stuff that you can check out in between. I go live Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 8.30, Sunday at 8. But after live, it's there for posterity on all the big platforms. I'm on Rumble. I'm on YouTube. I'm on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Prime, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, CastBox, Overcast, Podvine, and iHeartRadio, and Radio Public. So you can find me anywhere. Walter Speaks Wisdom, says MVTV. Excellent. It is beautiful at Kevin Cox. Scary, too. But vacation destinations everywhere you look, almost. Wow. Just long commute to work. Okay, I got you. Just a, just a driving fella then. But anyway, it's a good way to pass the time. It's about an hour and a half long, and it'll get you where you're going and get you there with a little wisdom that you didn't leave with. So hopefully that'll that'll be good for you. Anybody interested, there's uh, Walter's YouTube channel. So go check him out and give him a bump. Subscribe and like, all that good stuff if you wish. Well, thank you, April, Julie says. Hey, Johnny Crimson, there's a new name. Can we give a shout-out to my buddy Nick Gurr? No, we can't because I'm not an idiot. Probably saw a comment on Montana's. Probably. But I'm glad you're here. Much love, all hugs, and grateful... Blessed by beautiful people. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, April. And Jake ain't no jerk or an insufferable arse, you know, like me. Well, somebody called me a jerk Friday night. I forget who it was, but I'll take it. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you very much, MVTV. But Johnny Crimson, I'm going to give you one chance because I want you here and I want you to pay attention. And I know you're trolling me, but reconsider. Listen to what I've got to say. If you don't, that's fine. I'll give you one chance. I'm not going to ban you for that outburst. Ain't nobody here falling for your nonsense, though. But this is a good place to be, and if you want to dirty it up, then I'll boot your ass out of here so fast your head will spin. But if you want to listen, if you want to make a friend, try. I promise you'll find something good on the other end of that, Johnny.
I got into YouTube when I was working on Florida after a hurricane. It was the only way to talk to my wife in Pennsylvania. It grew, and subs are all friends. That's awesome, man. I got into YouTube because I was told rather uh, emphatically that I needed to start reading the Bible out loud. And uh, so I did. And I tried a little while there to just do music, and it didn't work. So I tried to do what I was told, and it did work. So here I am, trying to get by and teach a little something. Walter's got a great boat to die for. It's freaking huge. Awesome. I've never been much into boats. Not because I don't like them. It's just because, number one, I can't afford one. And number two, my dad was a drunk, and he used to force me to go fishing with him. So that kind of turned me off to the water. And, uh, you know, there's only so much fishing you could do while somebody's telling you what a low-down piece of trash you are that's never going to amount to anything and taking all those problems out on you. So, you know, I kind of don't like to fish. And if I don't like to fish, ain't no point in being on a boat. Hi, Kevin, Julie, and Walter, says Fab Daddy. You guys are so nice. I appreciate each and every one of you so much. The boat is a project. Oh, cool. All here is good people. All are welcome aboard. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the invite. I'll definitely come by and check you out. See if we can't help out a little bit. It's a small, humble channel, this, but it's good. It's They're all good people, and I try to cultivate that. My bad. It's a ship. A grand vessel I could see loading up and escaping a zombie invasion. Doctor. Or... Sorry, or cruising the Bahamas. Yeah, go down and check out Bimini Road. That'd be nice. I always had a dream about doing that, going to the Bahamas on a boat. Not that I like boats, but that's something a boat could do. Take me somewhere. Julie says, hey, back, Fab Daddy. I know you can read the chat. I don't know why I have a habit of reading everything, even when it's obvious. I subbed Walter. Much love. Thank you, April. Appreciate you. I'm going to go by and hit him up, too, when I get done. Matter of fact, I'll go right now. How about that? Taste and go. Oh. It's a nice channel. Looks like you got a little bit of stuff. Got a bunch of videos. Short ones, too. I don't know how to do short. But you got some new subs now. Sub says, Fab Daddy. Walter says, thank you, April. My uncle bought it when I was 10. He is 85 now. When he was 80, he gave it to me 
because he couldn't keep up with it. It's lots of memories on it when I was a kid, I bet. LOL, Jake, I'm sorry I understand. What are you sorry about? Nothing to be sorry about. Yep. The only thing about a boat is it takes a lot of money to keep one of them things up. I ride a Harley, and it's about the same thing, so I understand. Although, I, if your boat's that big, I would imagine it costs a little bit more than my Harley does. April says, you're welcome, Walter. I hope you'll be back. I think you will be. Uh, come tomorrow night at 8.30, Walter, and we're going to have a Bible study. Hopefully, you'll come join us for that. So Sunday and Monday, I do Bible study, and Wednesday and Friday, we just hang out and talk about whatever comes up. Sometimes I do deep dives on subjects that April hates. And sometimes I do uh, debunking videos for uh, atheists or something like that. Sometimes I'll just play the guitar and hang out and sing and whatever. And uh, we just have a good time on Wednesday and Friday. But Sunday and Monday, we get serious and read the Bible. And I teach word from the book, chapter, verse, explanation, understanding. That's the moniker that we go by. Walter says, I do all the work myself. I'm a carpenter by trade. Ooh, nice. Well, it makes it better when you do all the work yourself. Two best days of owning a boat. The day you buy it and the day you sell it. <laughs> it's a wood boat. So you ought to be right at home with that then, fixing that up. Not to do any fiberglassing or nothing. That's pretty good. I figure if I was going to own a boat, it'd have to be something like that that I could work on and fix up myself. That's how I found you, Walter. Watching a droll explanation and fix or farm equipment, etc. While I'm watching it like a surgery, I envy mechanic skills. I do not have them. Mm. Fab, the best days are when I'm on that boat. I love it. And the farm, too. Wow. Man's got some get up and go. He's got some gumption on you there, Fab. He said, I love it. I've never been out very far in a boat. What's it like being out on the ocean, you know? Everything breaks on a farm. Yes, it does. Farm stands for fix all, repair more. Boat stands bust out another thousand. Biker stands for breaks, income, kills, economy regularly. I figured I would help others looking at a mechanic bill. <laughs> when I bought my Harley, one of the reasons I bought a Harley is because it's American made and I figured it'd be easy to find parts for it if I needed it. <laughs> but I decided 
that if I was going to own a Harley, I was never going to take it to a Harley shop because they charge like three times the value of something to fix it. So I said I would do all the work myself. Whatever it needs, I'll learn how to fix it. And I have become a Harley expert by owning this Harley. Now I can fix anything on it. I know everything, every noise it makes and every bolt and screw that's in it. I know where it's at and I know how to do all the little tricks. And I bought every tool I've needed to work on a Harley. So now I've got a shop. And if somebody has a Harley, they can bring it by and I can fix it. Make a little money. Each day I go into the barn or the workshop and see a hundred years of welding equipment, tools, and the repair, repaired things. All just tells me I have no clue. Yet all the tools are here. I hear you, man. You ought to open you a fab shop. Yep, I spent five grand painting the bottom this year. Not a cheap passion. I know that's right. Bust out another thousand. Boat. You can have that one. <laughs> All right, boys and girls, we made it to the top of the hour. Listen, when you go out into the world tomorrow or the next day and you encounter other human beings, do me a favor. For the sake of just being a human being yourself, be nice. It doesn't cost anything to take any effort. Smile as you walk by. Nod at a stranger, offer a hand if somebody needs help. Be willing, be able, be available, and be nice. It's really easy to do. And I promise you, if you do that, it'll change your life. It will make you shine from the inside, and people will notice. People will gravitate towards you. It'll open doors you didn't even know were available to you. It will make your life and everybody around you's life better if you just be nice. I'm not saying be a pushover. I'm not saying take any garbage, but be nice. Be extroverted. When you see somebody smile at them, make eye contact and walk on by. That's all there is to it. Do that. I love you guys from the bottom of my heart. I do. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being so interesting. Thank you to the new people who just showed up tonight. Please do come back. I can't wait for tomorrow. I can't wait for the next iteration of what we're doing here tonight. God bless you. God keep you. Peace be on you. Peace be with you. Peace be upon you. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow night at 8.30 sharp. Be there or be. Thanks for watching.